behind the curtain of Australia's billion-dollar media and entertainment industry. That's entertainment. The personalities. So Lisa has not slept, and neither has Carl. What do we even need producers for? The politics. The Murdoch uh, print media platforms no longer provide anything approaching balance to news reporting. The pressures. I'm not sure that people are aware of the impact it has. Unfiltered unedited and uncut. Oh, I didn't even realise we were starting. <laughs> Buckle in for a hot take on the week's biggest headlines and insider scoops. He spent 37 years with the record label but was fired in June. That's Entertainment with Jake and Viv. Starts now. What have you got on the best shows ever? I'd be fancy seeing you here. Oh, look, it's about time that we uh, reappear after our mysterious disappearance last week. On that mysterious disappearance, uh, the truth is uh, I didn't want to show up to work because I was wrong about one of my predictions. And which one was that, Jake? Uh, Dylan Lewis uh, coming off the back of uh, I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here, out of the jungle and straight onto the Mix FM airwaves. But we now know that's not true, which we'll discuss a bit later. Yeah, that was a really hot prediction and it would have worked really well because he ended up winning I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here, which gives him a huge media platform and outlet for a year. But unfortunately, we can't be right all the time. We can't. So instead, we just threw ourselves a massive Christmas party last week and just didn't show up. (laughs) Give everyone a break from our incorrect predictions, but we're back this week and I'm sure we'll say something that's half right. This week on That's Entertainment, Spotify versus everyone. The fallout over Joe Rogan. Does the project need PVO to remain relevant? Radio ratings are back and all eyes are on SCA. Plus, in this week's hot take, why do TV execs keep casting international hosts? Spotify's at the centre of a pretty major controversy this week after musician Neil Young demanded the streaming giant remove his catalogue of hits from its service following episodes of the Joe Rogan podcast, which Spotify paid quite a few million bucks for. Uh, A few of those episodes, two in particular, have been accused of spreading misinformation, mostly around COVID vaccines. Other artists have since come out, and podcasters too, actually. Uh, Even James Blunt chimed in, threatening to actually release music on Spotify. Certain episodes of Joe's podcast weren't removed. Do you think we'll see more artists follow suit over the next few days? I think so, but I don't know if that will be enough to turn the tide. I think some headlines have tried to frame it as Neil Young said to Spotify, choose me or choose Joe Rogan, and they chose Joe Rogan over Neil Young. I don't think Neil Young ever thought he would topple Joe Rogan, but instead it's about musicians such as him or other podcasters taking a stand and saying we don't want to be associated with this platform, we don't want to be making any money off this platform when it profits so heavily from information which could indirectly or directly be killing people. Spotify's such a big beast in the music industry now. I mean, it really is akin to what, you know, Brashes or HMV were back in the day. Uh, You'd have to think that if some major artists, perhaps some of its uh, top streaming acts around the world, piped up, uh, that perhaps it might do a little bit more than just put out a statement saying we are reviewing our policies. But of course, uh, those artists may have good intentions in doing that. But which record label, particularly major label that's behind them, is going to support that? Of course, when they're shareholders in Spotify themselves as well. Artists can get things changed on Spotify, though. 
Adele agitated so that the default option for free Spotify users listening to albums wasn't to shuffle the album tracks. Her argument being, we spend a really long time building an album and its overall sound and its overall flow, which builds to its overall meaning and interpretation. When you shuffle that, you just sort of put together all different songs, which are great, but don't tell the full story. She got Spotify to change that policy. I think the difference there was that to Spotify, that doesn't make a huge difference, whereas it makes a huge difference to the listeners and to the artists. If Spotify were to back down on Joe Rogan when they've invested hundreds of millions of dollars and have backed him thus far and are profiting off him so heavily, it would have more of a commercial impact than the decision that Adele agitated for. I don't think it should take artists having to pull their catalogs though for Spotify to see the problem with the Joe Rogan vaccine misinformation or for Spotify to see that the steps they've taken thus far, such as potentially putting warnings at the top of episodes, is going to be sufficient. We're starting to see the cancel Spotify hashtag really starting to get momentum, uh, but that is the Twitter vacuum and I'm not surprised that that's happening. But when you really drill down into what people want, it's those episodes being removed from Spotify. Uh, Do you think there might be a clause in Joe's contract which uh, means something like that would have to be by mutual agreement? Oh, goodness, I would have no idea what is in (laughs) Joe Rogan's extensive contract. I do know that at least the facade he puts out to the public is that he can say whatever he likes and that Spotify exists in this kind of vacuum, a bit different perhaps from the, the Twitter vacuum, where he's been known to say to guests who've been concerned, you know, oh, can we say this? Oh, will we get in trouble? Where he said, don't worry about it. It's Spotify. We're basically untouchable. The issue that Spotify faces as well, though, is that there's been a lot of studies conducted that show if you put warnings at the top of episodes or in front of content saying this might not be right, you can actually end up accidentally giving that information more legitimacy because to warn about something makes it official. To put an official directive on something makes it seem real And also, if you're already a conspiracy theorist and you already think Joe Rogan is speaking truth to power and nobody else can say what he says, and then you've got an official line and an official warning, that's only going to fuel the perception that somebody is trying to silence him or that he's saying something that he shouldn't be. So it's almost by the time it gets to the point where you've got to put a warning on it, it's too late. I've been a fan of the Joe Rogan podcast. I mean, there's are incredible episodes uh, out there, but I do feel like he's really becoming the, I don't know, the Tucker Carlson of podcasting. I can't say I've always or indeed ever been a fan of the Joe Rogan podcast. Would you believe it? I just don't know that this is the person who should be the vaccine spokesperson for the masses. I don't think that was ever his appeal or ever what he was good at, but he's obviously tapped into this market and this need in society for an alternative in quote marks viewpoint. It's become a bit ridiculous that that's his selling point and that's what people know him for. And when there's so much pressure on the likes of Facebook and Google to do more in terms of misinformation, fake news and uh, vaccines, Spotify has to step up as well. And it's no surprise now that people are starting to question why people on that platform can just say anything, make money off it and have no consequences. In this instance, Spotify is the publisher in the same way that the New York Times in. Is there anybody else in media? 
Yeah, well, it's a, a Spotify podcast. It's not like they just happen to accidentally be carrying it and they're not aware of it. It's their biggest product. It was the, the biggest podcast deal in history. So they are absolutely responsible for his content and, you know, they, they could edit it or remove it if they wanted to. The fact that it's taken this long for there to be any action and even if you read their their policy now that they've released in the wake of this backlash, it's still very vague and it's still not very definitive about taking action and what it actually means. So it's a pretty piss poor response when you think they've had all this time and then they put out something that arguably should have already been their policy or should have been public. Have you watched uh, Joe's video that he's put up on Instagram about all this controversy? I've watched bits of his little thumb head talking to the camera uh, saying that he'll make more of an effort to have a more balanced viewpoint presented, yes. I mean, I think the fact that he started by thanking all the love that he's received uh, from his fans was... Uh, tone deaf, and then proceeded to talk up the credentials of these two controversial guests that he's had on. It's not a great way to start an apology video, is it? I wanted to make this video, first of all, because I think there's a lot of people that have a distorted perception of what I do, maybe based on sound bites or based on headlines of articles that are disparaging. Um, The podcast has been accused of spreading dangerous misinformation specifically about two episodes, a little bit about some other ones, but specifically about two, one with uh, Dr. Peter McCullough and one with Dr. Robert Malone. Dr. Peter McCullough is a cardiologist and he is the most published physician in his field in history. Dr. Robert Malone owns nine patents on the creation of mRNA vaccine technology and is at least partially responsible for the creation of the technology that led to mRNA vaccines. Both these people are very highly credentialed, very intelligent, very accomplished people, and they have an opinion that's different from the mainstream narrative. I wanted to hear what their opinion is. I had them on, and because of that, those episodes in particular, uh, those episodes were labeled as being dangerous. They had dangerous misinformation in them. There aren't many people in media recently who have nailed apologies, Jake, and he's certainly <laughs> he's certainly not uh, resetting that perception for me. Speaking of apologies, uh, up next, does the project need PVO to remain relevant? Well, the uh, if the internet almost had a meltdown after Vision Service surfaced of uh, last year's Australian of the Year, Grace Tame, of course, is a fierce Australian activist and advocate for uh, survivors of sexual assault. She arrived at Scott Morrison's man cave in Canberra, smileless. That led journalist Peter Van Olsen to pen an, an open letter uh, in the Oz criticising Grace for giving the PM the cold shoulder which in turn led to a heated moment on TEN's The Project, on which he often appears as a political editor for TEN. Uh, Your take, your reaction? My reaction to Grace, my reaction to Scott, or my reaction to PVO? All of it, please. (laughs) I am obviously Team Grace, and I've had to have this discussion a lot, particularly with men over the past couple of weeks, who say things like, I support her but... And that but negates the words before it. Uh, If you support her, then you should understand the reasons for her stance uh, at the lodge in Canberra. 
She's not a politician. She's not a member of the Liberal Party. She has no obligation to Scott Morrison or to the political establishment. She won an award because as a 15-year-old, she was raped at school by her teacher. Institution after institution after institution then let her down. Most of those controlled by men. And then people are shocked that she's frustrated at these institutions for not doing more and not uh, helping to fix the things she's been agitating for over the past 12 months as Australian of the year. She's been particularly frustrated with Scott Morrison and his government's lack of action on these points. If she stood there as a puppet and smiled with him, he would use that as a PR opportunity to show people, look, the ever-agitating Grace Tame is smiling and happy with me. Look at this previously angry young woman who is on my side. She was stuck between a rock and a hard place. She smiles and she looks like she's complicit. She doesn't smile and every man that supports the system thinks that she's being disrespectful. Scott Morrison does not deserve her respect. She doesn't have to give him her respect and... It's no different to the bushfire victims a couple of years ago who refused to shake Scott Morrison's hand because they were so angry at him for his inaction on climate change and the bushfires. When men did that in regional Australia, everybody lauded them as heroes and good blokes, which, you know, I agree with. They were traumatised, they were upset and they didn't want to play the political puppet for the photo opportunity Grace Tame is traumatised, she's upset and she doesn't want to play the political puppet for the photo opportunity. So Team Grace, not Team ScoMo, and uh, it probably won't surprise you to know that that means I'm also not Team PVO. I know the answer to this, but uh, a lot of people (laughs) suggested this uh, in the wake of all of this unfolding. Why did she just not turn up at all? Now, the the obvious answer, of course, is that she was making a statement by going uh, and by taking the stance that she did. Uh, But there are a lot of people who just think, why show up at all? Because her remit is to the people of Australia, not to Scott Morrison. Her remit is to other survivors and the people that she advocates for. She is the one with a seat at the table. If she doesn't go, she and all of those survivors and all of those people that she advocates for lose their seat at the table. She might hate everyone else at the table. She might hate the fucking table itself. But if she doesn't go there, then she doesn't get a say at all. And that's what the system and people who support and hold up the system rely on. They rely on women or other advocates or other minorities being uncomfortable. So thinking, I won't go because it will make me uncomfortable and my discomfort will make them uncomfortable. So we continually avoid discomfort, continually put ourselves out of harm's way for the betterment of others. Whereas actually what she did is she went did what she believed was right. And I don't think that part of that is smiling. Like, goodness me, we've got enough smiling and smirking going on from ScoMo. We don't need Grace Tane to do it as well. She's got far more important things to do. An excellent side eye. Uh, And how good was the photo with her and Anthony Albanese uh, a few hours later? Look, I think that uh, was a very opportune moment from Albo's PR team or social media 
team, very deliberate contrast to her side eye and downcast attitude next to Prime Minister Scott Morrison. Uh, the opposition leader, Anthony Albanese, got her smiling, thumbs up, clearly having a good time, clearly engaged and really pushing back against that narrative that she's just an angry sourpuss. I think it was clever on the part of Albo's uh, team to get that and I think, you know, if Grace wants to do that, then that's, you know, absolutely up to her. Uh, let's talk about uh, Peter Van Olsen, who is the political editor at 10, also a columnist for The Australian. Uh, he did put pen to paper about this uh, really hours after it all went down, uh, which led into his appearance on the project uh, that night, or perhaps it was the next night, I can't remember as well. Firstly, uh, your take on the op-ed, and were you surprised that The Australian hit publish on it? I'm absolutely not surprised that the Australian hit publish on it. The view of uh, PVO is held by some people. You know, the fact that there were so many column inches dedicated to whether or not Grace Tame did the right thing, whether or not Grace Tame is respectful, disrespectful, a great advocate, a terrible advocate, all of those binary options that the press were presenting is because there is a large portion of people out there who believe, uh, as PVO did, that she did the wrong thing and that the office of Prime Minister and the position of Australian of the Year commands and demands a certain behaviour and a certain level of respect. I just think that PVO should have thought a little bit harder about how it was going to look to have a white man who is so part of the political establishment, bearing in mind he's an old friend of uh, former Attorney General Christian Porter, to be telling essentially a woman how to behave and telling a sexual assault survivor to smile. I know his argument was more complex and nuanced than that, but if you boil it down, that's what he was saying. And I think a lot of women are sick of being told by men, just smile, love. And I think having his face next to it when he's been linked to Christian Porter, who has been accused of rape, obviously allegations that he has strenuously denied and nothing has really been proven either way, but he does have those associations. There are those connotations with PVO and his political allegiances and his friends and the fact that he's seen to be part of the political elite and a bit of a Liberal Party puppet. The fact that he then put this view out there obviously wasn't going to go well with the more left-leaning uh, the project. Yeah, it was quite good television, to be honest. In fact, I would argue that it's probably some of the best television that the project has made in a very long time. Uh, and it did get a lot of headlines off the back of it as well. The project isn't immune to headlines, though. I mean, often it, it, it makes the entertainment pages uh, the following day or even a few hours later after there might be a guest on there. But I would say that this has been a good moment for the project, to be honest. Uh, it seems to have made a few men uncomfortable, including you, PVO, who felt the need to write an article today um, telling Grace how you believe she should have acted today. First of all, why do you feel the need to tell Grace how she should have behaved? But second of all, why should she stand there and smile and pretend it's all OK when there is an absolute catastrophe oh, I, on I the I didn't cards think she here? should stand there and smile and pretend it's OK. I just thought she shouldn't go. Uh, if you can't be polite in some form, then I just think don't go. But why should she have to be silenced and quiet? Why can't she go and, and make a statement in her behaviour about how she feels about what's happened over the past year? I don't think she's been silenced by not going. I think it would have made a big statement if she hadn't gone and she didn't speak at the event. 
so I just think if you can't just have basic courtesy, then to the Prime Minister, I don't like Scott Morrison particularly, but if you can't show basic courtesy, I just think it's immature. But do you also think there's a need for respect in the conversation, the language you, we use towards Grace? You spoke to her in the article today. You spoke about how she acted as a child. Mm. You know, when she should have been able to act as a child? When she was a child, only she was preyed upon by a man and, and lost parts of her childhood. Like, in the whole conversation, how we talk about this, things like that, I, 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 I'm unsure how that helps, how that article oh, today oh. helps when I'm assuming, like the entire nation, you want violence against women and children to end. The project's tagline is news delivered differently and that's been its uh, point of difference or point of marketing difference for the decade plus it's been on air and it's never really been intended that people sit down for the full it was first half hour when it was called the 7pm project from 7pm to 7.30 and it's never been the intention when it was extended for an hour from 6.30 to 7.30 for people to sit down and consume the whole thing. A huge part of the project and what it wants to achieve is social media noise and viral videos. They don't need you to watch the full hour. They need videos like this to go viral on Facebook and Instagram, to get pick up on pedestrian, to get pick up on the mainstream media, to be shown on other channels, to be talked about on 2GB in the morning, to remind people what personalities and politics are going on on the project. So in that sense, it might not have been an immediate ratings bonanza, but it has fed into that social media loop and that crossover between entertainment and news that is the project's sweet spot. All right, up next on That's Entertainment, the radio ratings are back and all eyes are on SCA. The first uh, Metro Radio survey of 2022 will arrive on March 10. Survey period is in action up until Feb 26. Number of new shows to keep an eye on this year as well uh, and some oldies. Some performing well, others not. What, uh, what are you looking forward to when the first survey of 2022 drops? So many things. Uh, I think it will be another really interesting year for Sydney's Kiss 106.5 breakfast show with Carl and Jackie O. They are unequivocally the number one FM breakfast show, but they last year did manage to topple 2GB's Ben Fordham. I think that battle will be an interesting one because Kyle and Jackie O love being number one, whether it's on FM or overall, and I just think that change in dynamics of the of the shares between those two very different programs is always fun to watch. Adelaide, strangely, has become a weird point of fascination for me as well. We've had Soda leave the Mix 102.3 breakfast show and be replaced by former ABC host who is incredibly popular down there, Ali Clark. That's definitely not a lineup that we saw coming. You, Jake, had predicted that it would be Dylan Lewis. Uh, instead, we've got a very female-centric lineup as Erin Phillips has stuck around, and it's the Ali Clark show with Erin. We don't have many lineups like that that are so focused on two strong female personalities. I think that's a reflection of what's gone on at Mix in Adelaide over the last couple of years. I mean, Soda has obviously left uh, unrelated uh, potentially, but we know there are a lot of other um, shenanigans going on in that market and uh, at that station around the time. A great get, though, for ARN in Ali Clark. I mean, such an incredible broadcaster. Uh, I'm not surprised that, you know, they've put together a lineup that is. Uh, that does have two women at the helm. Yeah, well, it is definitely something 
different and when Ali announced her departure from the ABC there was a lot of shock from her very loyal listeners and wondering where she would go whether or not they make the switch over to mix uh, will play out this year and that's something I will definitely be looking at and the other thing I'll be looking at is just what impact uh, the change in nights across the country has I know that nights aren't nearly as important in terms of that rating share and helping a station to dominate the day I think what will be really interesting with the new Abby Chatfield night show on the hit network if she comes with a lot of existing popularity from her podcast and her social media network will she bring them across to radio when the lead-in from the likes of Today FM Breakfast in the Morning is so low or will they engage with her hot night show via social media, via the podcast catch-up, uh, by streaming it online, all of which are very, very valid ways for them to consume the content and will still lead to great commercial outcomes for the Hit Network and SCA. They just won't necessarily be reflected in that rating share come the 10th of March. So I'll definitely be keeping an eye on that, particularly her sort of national nights battle with Mitch Churi over on Kiss, which is a new lineup and a new battle and sort of the new uh, up and coming faces of radio. And I think it's just nice to see fresh faces in there rather than us constantly talking about, you know, uh, Dave Hughes and, and those people who've been doing the rounds for decades. Yeah, I think it's exciting, the nights battle that's heating up. I mean, you know, back in the day, the night shift was such a competitive time slot. And for so long, Smallsy on the Nova network uh, has just ruled the roost in metro markets. Uh, so, of course, with Abby uh, Chatfield and Mitchuri, uh, there's some competition there. Uh, and although it might not have the biggest audience, uh, I think it will have a big impact uh, in the conversations around radio this year. Because I, I dare say we'll see some movement as we get into the back end of these uh, of 2022 and we start to see where these shows go. It'll be really interesting to watch. Uh, there is talk that uh, Abby could be a contender or part of a contender for uh, Today FM breakfast in the future as well. There was t- a lot of rumblings towards the back end of last year about whether the current morning crew lineup would remain uh, in 2022. Uh, we now know that they will be, so I think that's one to watch as always as well. Yeah, I think Nights is a really good spot for Abby to start. It can be a bit more daring than perhaps a lot of breakfast shows can be. It's where Kyle and Jackie O really built up their chemistry and their show and the type of radio performers that they wanted to be as a duo. And that was on the Hit Network or Today FM where Abby now sits. So it can absolutely be a path to breakfast radio and it can be somewhere where you can do some more daring and exciting and and different radio. And I think it's probably better that she was put there first before breakfast because it gives her that opportunity to really develop her radio voice. I think the hot nights concept is really clever for the hit network and for the type of, you know, hot uh, viral content that Abby talks about. And then if the morning crew doesn't work out, as so many people have predicted for so many years, uh, then perhaps she can slot in or she might just really work as a nighttime radio performer. The other market to really watch this year, as it is every year, is Melbourne. 
because there's been some big changes there, particularly over the last few years. Uh, 3RW, of course, is an incredibly strong performer and continues to be. Uh, Fox uh, had always been, but of course Christian O'Connell has arisen as really the front runner uh, on the FM band in that market. There's a lot of work to do for uh, some of the other stations as well, uh, including Nova. Um, So I think Melbourne's one to watch. There was also the change on KISS 101.1 in Melbourne, which was the Jason PJ show and has become the Jace and Lauren show. And recently they've had Byron Cook filling in for Jace as he uh, awaits the birth of his third child. That's a program that has never really found its ratings feet in terms of what KISS wants, expects and demands from it. So I'm sure that this year they'll be hoping that Lauren Phillips and Jace can really get that sorted. There's been a lot of changes uh, behind the scenes on that team over the past couple of years, lots of producers and EPs and uh, staff leaving. Uh, It's been a lot of turnover and a lot of change and if it doesn't start to get some results soon, I expect there will need to be more change. A lot of changes, uh, or a few notable ones anyway, in Brisbane and also um, over in Perth. So uh, we'll be looking closely at all markets uh, when the ratings drop on uh, on March 10. What would be the most shocking headline for you out of the first survey of the year? Is there something that would make you just go, oh, I never saw that coming? Today FM Breakfast, topping the Sydney radio ratings. <laughs> That'd be a coup. That would be a coup. Well, you asked me what would surprise me and that would absolutely surprise me, Uh, as would anyone really topping the ratings except K&J. You know, it would surprise me if Fitzy and Whipper on Nova 96.9 suddenly topped the ratings. They sort of exist in the middle, much uh, often much further ahead than Today FM Breakfast, but occasionally they have a slip and get a bit lower and other times they sort of sit up a bit higher. So I would just be surprised if there was a big shake-up in the Sydney market because it's been so long since we've had one of any real significance. Aren't the radio ratings just more exciting now that we don't have to write about them? They are exciting, but yet they still come around far too frequently. I'm looking at this calendar now and it's giving me like anxiety just looking at all those surveys. Eight yeah. a year is as Christian O'Connell from Gold 104.3 in Melbourne has said it's a very competitive system when you've got to front up and be criticised and analysed eight times a year. (laughs) So true. Uh, Up next on That's Entertainment, our hot take, why do TV execs keep casting international hosts? Glad you put this one uh, in the Potty McPodface show notes for today's episode because this is a gripe that I have with television and that is uh, bringing in talent as hosts or judges or in any sort of formal capacity, I suppose, uh, even really as contestants on reality shows uh, in lieu of great Australian talent, of which there's so much of. You see it a lot on even like the music reality TV shows currently and previously, uh, and I believe there's uh, there's one particular new lineup of a uh, quite a successful Channel Nine TV show that uh, got you a little worked up when you saw the media release. Yes, uh, my least favourite Australian Open commentator Jim Courier. Uh, is going to be the host <laughs> of Australian Ninja Warrior on Channel 9 this year. It irked me for a few reasons. One is uh, I don't like Jim Courier as a, as a commentator and he 
you know, been on my television screens for two straight weeks throughout the fantastic Australian Open and it annoys me a bit that we have so many fantastic current and former tennis players who are very articulate, very strategic, great media personalities and yet we feel the need to get this validation from a man who, yes, won the tournament twice in 1992 and 1993, but there are so many other people who have also won that tournament and I got increasingly frustrated because Jim Courier always used to get to do the primetime interviews with male winners of matches and there would always then be a female commentator who got to interview the female winners. Increasingly this year, if it was primetime, Jim Courier got both the men and the women and I just thought, why is he taking away opportunities from the likes of Yelena Dokic? Now, that wouldn't be a decision on his part. I'm sure he didn't force her out, but to just have him on our screen so frequently giving us validation like, look, an American thinks we're cool was just really frustrating and I think that's what we've done again by putting him in the primetime spot for Australian Ninja Warrior, a spot that was previously occupied by the likes of Australian media personality Ben Fordham. We now have a former tennis legend Jim Courier from America doing it. I just think that's taking a job away from an Australian commentator, an Australian media personality or an Australian sports star when he's just not that great as talent, in my opinion. (laughs) Okay. On the record, uh, I I would agree. I can't argue with uh, any of that. Do you think Australian audiences really need uh, these international names? Does it have a massive impact on ratings or is it more just about TV execs wanting to hang out with the rich and famous uh, from Hollywood? I think it's become a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy where we think it's a big deal so it is a big deal. So if anybody stopped doing it, there might be a short-term impact where suddenly you're going, oh, we don't have Rita Ora uh, or Seal or the Madden Brothers for The Voice or we don't have Jim Courier for Australian Ninja Warrior or we don't have this guest star coming on to the show that they know nothing about and don't actually care about. But I think long term, if the content of the show is good and if the cut through of the talent you have is strong, People won't tune out because there's no Jim Courier. You just need to adjust audiences' expectations slowly. I think it just speaks to our culture and our media's uh, self-conscious nature where we almost need this external international validation. Yes, Australian Ninja Warrior is a big deal. It's just as big as international markets. Our people are just as talented. Aren't Australians great? We should just know that in and of ourselves and not need this imported short-term talent to tell us that we're fascinating and interesting and talented. It is a bit of a grab for headlines and obviously to get uh, agencies and buyers excited, I think, because you often see these international names pop up on shows where the casting isn't as controversial as uh, or problematic as some of the more sort of... Um, Spicy reality shows. Australian Ninja Warrior, I don't think, for example, needs to be spicy, though. People are watching that to to see the contestants and to see the falls and the failures and occasionally the achievements of those competing on the program. So I don't know how much more spice Jim Courier is going to add, but, uh, you know, he might prove me wrong. I guess we'll see. Up here on the sunny Sunshine Coast, it's about 40 degrees feels like about 45 uh, and I came down with a, I think this is a litre, a litre bottle of water and it's now out so I reckon, I reckon it's time to wrap it so I can go fill it. 
Oh, absolutely. Here in Sydney, uh, my apartment is an absolute sweat box with all the windows and doors closed. It's thoroughly, thoroughly uh, unpleasant. We should start planning our Christmas party, actually. I know it's early in the year, but I feel like, you know, we should get ahead of it, start jotting down some ideas, maybe a guest list, um, ideas for a theme, what sort of food and beverage we want, what sort of cocktails we'd like to have for the That's Entertainment Christmas party. Absolutely. Before we do any planning, though, I suggest that you go and do the uh, B&T Industry Drugs Survey, uh, which they're conducting at the moment to understand the media marketing and advertising industry's relationship with recreational drugs. So perhaps we should uh, do that before any Christmas party okay, shenanigans. Let's do the survey, then plan the Christmas party. You know, I bet there'll be a few publishers who are very eager to get their hands on the results of those surveys. Some might even find it very shocking. I am uh, absolutely sure that this uh, drug survey from B&T will get excellent engagement, whether or not they get great answers or just people using it as an opportunity to settle scores uh, is another question because I do know that one of the questions is who in the industry would you like to do drugs with? And I feel like people might (laughs) not take that question too seriously and might just use it to spill the tea on certain people within the industry. Okay. Uh, We'll see you next week. Who would you like to do drugs with, Jake? Oh, you, for sure. We could have a great time. We could do this this podcast at three o'clock in the morning, surely. That is absolutely off the table. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to rate and review this episode on your favourite podcast app. If you have a news tip for next week's show, email us tips at thatsentertainment.com.au.